360 degrees. Ha ha, 360 degrees. Ha ha, 306, 306, 360 degrees. Ha ha. everyone and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine, produced by members and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. We're broadcasting from our studios in Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory now known to settlers as the East Bay Area. I'm your host tonight, Joy Moore, and I'm from Apprentice Group 20 in Lakesh. Tonight we're in conversation with Bonnie Baruki community food activists of Aspie Community Gardens, Transition Berkeley, the Albany Guild Track, and much, much more. And Rob Benetton, who will join us in a discussion on how to establish new land access opportunities for urban farming and highlighting the need for cities and counties to consider sites as part of open space and climate action plans to support urban farms and community gardens as local community hubs for resilience. And finally, we'll speak with two workers, Bobby House and Gordon Limbrick, who share their work experiences with Planting Justice. And we'll also be coming to you for your support of Full Circle and KPFA. All that tonight on Full Circle. Again, I'm your host, Joy Moore. Keep it locked. Welcome back to Full Circle. This is your host, Joy Moore, and I'm here with our first guest, Bonnie Baruki. Welcome, Bonnie. Bonnie, tell us a little about yourself and the community food security work you're doing, and uh, more about the Aspie Community Garden and the threat that it faces right now. Thank you, Joy. Thank you so much for inviting me here. So my name is Bonnie Baruki, and I have lived in Berkeley for almost 30 years, and I am part of a, co- a coordinating team of a community garden in South Berkeley that has been known as the Ashby Community Garden because it is on Ashby Avenue between Acton and Mabel in South Berkeley. And let's see, it's a community garden that's been on two lots um, for almost 17 years now. I've been a member for about 13 years, and it's on two parcels of privately owned land. So one of the parcels is now up for sale. So that's that's one of the reasons why I'm here. We're, um, we're doing a community effort to keep it the land as it is. The, the future might determine that it's something other than a garden, but we would like it to support um, the life that is on the land now. Talk to us about what the Aspie Community Garden provides the community. I know you do food swaps and giveaways. Tell us about um, some of the activities that go on there. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Joy. So the main activity we do is we do grow food. We grow food without pesticides. We respect the soil and the water that comes on on the land. So we teach people to grow food. We've had Rob come to the garden and give soil building classes. We do a lot of composting, so we teach about 
ways to compost. Um, we we have about 15 members that come and go that have plots there, and we share the cost of water and other items that come to the garden. So um, I'm trying to think. We also have a lot of community members that come and volunteer in the garden to be there. When we have surplus food, we have given it to places like Carriott Tubman Terrace, Urban Adama had come and collected some of the food. We've, um, we had Fat Beats um, come, they had their distribute CSA boxes at the location and we'd contribute little herbs to those CSA boxes. For all our listeners out there, just in case you don't know, CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture. Oh, wow. And we have a lot of non-garden activities there, too. Mm. We recently had a workshop in conjunction with Biofuel Oasis, which is just down the road. And it was um, a mending workshop with about 11 participants. So that's just some of the things. And I know you do a little, a lot of outreach to the community. I remember there was an event at the Ashby Bart Flea Market. And also you do a lot of collaboration. Let's talk a little bit about your work with Transition Berkeley. Okay, so one of the projects that I'm really excited about are the pollinator gardens. I've, well, actually several gardeners became really interested in the whole, the whole issue with neonicotinoids. That is a systemic pesticide that is manufactured by bears, one of the manufacturers. So we really want to educate people around the issues of both growing crops without neonicotinoids and you know caring for your land without these and also planting planting pl plenty of native plants providing native plant habitat for pollinators and, that, and we talk about pollinators. We're talking about bees, butterflies, even ants are pollinators, birds, right? Birds, even wasps. <laughs> um, yes. Yes, many, many, things, many insects are pollinators. So, of course, we're all kind of focused on the beautiful ones like the monarchs, and um, but there are so many pollinators, especially. We have about 28 varieties of native bees that we have found um, at the Ashby Garden. And we, oh, that's another thing. We also are a learning laboratory. Um, we've had elementary school kids come there and um, UC Berkeley classes. Uh, the um, UC Berkeley Urban Bee Lab has given classes there. We've had a couple different grad students who have come and used the garden site as their as research. And, and I know for a fact that your Ashby Community Garden is a great resource for the community. Just talk about providing food, education, environmental consciousness, collaboration with other groups. There's so many things you've done, and you've been working on it so hard and so long. I want to thank you and, how, and tell you how much I appreciate all the work that you've done. And the Ashby Community Garden is a valuable, valuable asset. Can you tell our listeners how can we support your work? What can we do right now to try to save the Ashby Community Garden plot? And how can they contact their local um, representatives to get some support for this work you're doing? 
Well, we are talking with some local land trusts. Our preference right now is to rematriate this land. So that that is um, that's a huge desire. <laughs> it's a huge vision that uh, many people in the community have right now. So um, the parcel of land is at 1376 Ashby Avenue, and, and we welcome your ideas your support we we hope to launch a fundraiser at some point to to basically put this land in a long time service of the community and so how do we contact you bonnie how do we contact the ashby community garden or you in personal personally to um further your work support your work so we have a nonprofit 501c3 called we be gardeners. That's B with a double E. So, um, so you can contact us at webegardeners at gmail dot org. Okay, we W E B E E gardeners, right? At Gmail. So, can you give us your website? Webegardeners.org. dot org. Thank you so much, Bonnie. I really appreciate you spending the time with us, and I hope and wish you the best of luck with preserving that space for the community. It's so valuable and so important. And it's the wave of the future. If we're going to build up our immunity systems, if we're going to be healthy, if we're going to keep our communities healthy, we need to eat food that we grow without pesticides. And we need to save our pollinators because without the pollinators, there is no food. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you joining us tonight. Okay. Thank you so much, Joy. Thank you for all the work you do. <laughs> I appreciate it. For bringing your your kids to the the garden too. Really yes. Enjoyed. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for your pollinator garden at our school too. Appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you. Talk to you later. Right. Bye. While we play a little inspirational music, please consider supporting Full Circle, the KPFA Apprenticeship, and the Pacifica Radio Network by going to kpfa.org and giving what you can. We need your support. We can't keep this radio station going without you. You are KPFA Pacifica. Please consider supporting us. KPFA.org. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Feeling my way through the darkness. Guided by a beating heart. I can't tell where the journey will end. But I know where to start They tell me I'm too young to understand They say I'm caught up in a dream Life will pass me by if I don't open up my eyes Well, that's fine by me So wake me up when it's all over When I'm
tried carrying the weight of the world But I only have two hands I hope I get the chance to travel the world But I don't have any plans I wish that I could stay forever this young Not afraid to close my eyes Life's a game made for everyone And love is the prize So wake me up when it's all over When I'm wiser and I'm older All this time I was finding myself And I didn't know I was lost So wake me up when it's all over When I'm wiser and I'm older All this time I was finding myself And I didn't know I was lost 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 I didn't Welcome back to Full Circle on KPFA 94.1 FM. Again, this is your host, Joy Moore, and we just heard Wake Me Up by Aloe Black. I think it's a very uh, prescient song. Talks about being woke, what's happening right now. And we're joined tonight by our next guest, Rob Bennington. Rob is here to talk about how to establish new land access opportunities for urban farming and to highlight the need for cities and counties to consider sites as part of open space and climate action plans. Welcome, Rob. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks so much for having me. Tell us about your work and uh, the food security stuff that you're doing. And what are you talking about in terms of um, opening up opportunities and land access for urban farmers? Well, uh, I work with the University of California Cooperative Extension. We are part of the university land grant system, but we are also cooperative in that without the county boards in the vast majority, in fact, every county in the state, Cooperative Extension uh, could not operate. And so we have a number of uh, programs that we run to serve community and work with community that have identified needs and help meet those needs. So I do uh, applied research and education around the growing fields of urban ag and food systems and supporting growers that are uh, trying to grow food safely in cities, in and around cities, uh, marketing and distributing them, uh, sometimes as donations for emergency food, sometimes for sales in inner city settings where uh, there are less healthy and affordable foods available. And we work with our partners to leverage resources and bring back uh, both research and educational programs and uh, outreach opportunities into the communities in which we serve. And how does this directly support communities' immunity abilities and health? You know, with, with the pandemic and all that's going on, how is this important to um, helping heal or keep healthy our communities? 
Sure. So um, the, the research and education work is supporting healthy and safe food and lands access and security for diverse low-income residents of the counties, especially Alameda, Contra Costa, and San Francisco. I also try to be helpful in the other counties as well when possible. Uh, we provide some basic technical assistance in food growing, trying to keep folks safe, especially in terms of urban soils and urban soil quality, uh, food safety, and in many cases, uh, technical guidance around communal governance of urban farms and community gardens as well. We try to support everybody. We're a very small operation, uh, urban farms, community and school gardens, faith-based, institutional, sometimes therapeutic groups that want to do uh, therapeutic horticulture, and we collaborate with them also. And you know, urban farming is one of those things where not one size fits everyone. In, and in many cases, many of the organizations have many of their own uh, approaches and nuances that are different from many of the other ones. So in that way, it's, it's hard to define urban ag. But think of it as growing food in and around cities beyond one's own personal family or educational needs for the most part. Mm. And I understand, you know, we have this mantra of grow locally. And and the big idea about that is the transportation costs. A lot of people say, oh, well, why would we grow food in Colombia and ship it all the way to the United States? It doesn't make sense. And that I get. But talk a little bit about the resilience and the immunity. One of the things I've learned, and I'm, I'm hoping that you can talk to us about this, is that the organisms that live in the area where you live, the plants have to fight off the negatives to be strong and grow. And that immunity that they develop in the plants is passed on to us when we eat it. So the organisms that attack us where we live are um, combated by the plants that we eat. And so it's better for us to eat the food where we live. Is that true or no? Generally, yes, to the degree it's possible. Uh, reducing one's carbon footprint and uh, growing one's own food is a healthy exercise, both in terms of taking in your, your local uh, plant life and produce. And then, you know, that comes with also carrying some of the local uh, microbacteria that are healthy for our gut as well. Um, so certainly that supports immunity. It also is a stress reliever. There are certainly uh, well-established health benefits to uh, growing produce or uh, I, I like to say bountiful blossoms or healthy harvests. Um, and ultimately one can get greater levels of social and emotional and cognitive and physical health um, in a low intensity kind of way through those activities. Right. And then also um, the climate actions directly. I know, I think people understand that CO2 comes from us burning fuel and and extracting oil and, and all of the things we go through to get fuel for our cars. But also um, talk about how having local access to urban farms would help improve our climate change, the climate change action that's going on now. Sure. So one of the things we're working towards slowly but surely is supporting what what I call the neighbor food network. We're actually getting ready to release a, a neighbor food web page as well 
and we have a Bay Area Urban Farming Resources Guide that will complement with that. The need for keeping open space open in inner cities is more than ever uh, because as we urbanize, there's more and more impervious surfaces and more and more heat. We, we get the urban heat island effect as a result of that. And studies have shown that that results in greater levels of ambient air temperature, ground level ozone, greater proportionalities of particulate matter in the air, whereas open space with plants and soil tends to be a place that can absorb uh, some of the pollutants so that we can remain healthy. And ultimately, to the degree that we can have cleaner air, cleaner water, and healthy soils, we will be able to really move forward towards vibrant, livable, multicultural cities and metropolitan regions as the earth globalizes. We're now at a place where in the next, oh, 20, 30 years, we're going to see like a 66% increase in population and massive needs in terms of food growth. 50 Four, 55% plus as of 2014 of the world's population now lives in cities. And we're looking at a 66% increase by 2050. Um, at the same time, uh, globally, we have about 795 million people facing uh, hunger and or malnutrition, again, as of 2015, um, with the UN Food and Agriculture Organization statistics. So with the projected increase in population by about 66% to 20, you know, by the year of 2050, uh, we're looking at a need of about a 60% increase in food production. And you know, as time has gone on in history, we've tended as as cities and metropolitan areas to push our food sources away from uh, the spaces where we consume them and where the population densities are. But uh, the need for new ways to manage cities and implement growing spaces over time more and more is really high. But it's also coupled with parallel and concurrent real estate development. You know, the cost of living in the Bay Area and many parts of California uh, has gone up significantly over the last eight or so years, 10 or so years. And so keeping uh, access to healthy food, but also access to land to grow on is going to be one of those key pieces that allows us to keep our air clean, our water clean, and our soil healthy over time. Uh, but it's about being inclusive and engaging in the process throughout all of that urban revitalization. Not to mention that we come from the earth and the sea, and we've just, just connected ourselves with all this cement and concrete and building and tar and all these other things that separate us from the ground. Psychologically and emotionally, I think we're disconnected from the land, too. And what I found with teaching children how to garden and grow food, and there is a... a a change in in children when they come in contact with a worm or a bee or an ant or a plant or a butterfly or a tree um, and, and have a connection to it, either helping it grow or harvesting from it, that I don't think we pay any attention to. First of all, I want to thank you for the work that you're doing. I appreciate you coming and illuminating 
some of these issues for us and tell people how they can support the work you're doing, how they can contact you. What are the next steps? Say if I wanted to somehow affect the climate change or grow a garden on my own or help support the urban ag movement, what could I do as a citizen of Berkeley? Sure. So first thing is, you know, think hyper locally. Think about your neighborhood. Think about the block that you're on. Do you get along with your neighbors? Could you think about taking down the fences among your yard spaces and growing as a as a block association, perhaps, or a, a local neighborhood group? Could you grow food in multiple spots in the neighborhood? Could you steward uh, local native or low water use? trees that will also fix carbon and may serve as habitat, certainly shading some of the impervious surfaces and making that those spaces cooler. Um, could you steward a pollinator patch that attracts uh, bees and butterflies? You know, pollination is really, really key to our long-term survival. Uh, about 37 to 40 percent of the world's uh, food crops are pollinated by bees and butterflies and other kinds of pollinators. So that's really, really key. One thing I want to touch on is, you know, how to establish new land access opportunities for urban farming. Um, it's, it's a hard shell to break through sometimes. Accessing land is often the biggest challenge urban farmers face when getting started or trying to scale up their growing operations. And it's a big leap to go from a small urban farmer community garden space into a much larger set of acreage from a variety of perspectives, whether it's the production side, the actual growing, the food safety piece, the post-harvest handling, marketing and business development, or the legal issues, right? What kind of regulatory compliance do you need to deal with? What kind of permits do you need to deal with? Studies have shown that in California's communities, finding land that is, uh, is, is ultimately the barrier that beginning urban farmers encounter the most, often because of the really, really high land values. To expand and scale up urban ag, uh, we offer some models for accessing land that may help urban farmers overcome those. They include mm -hmm. accessing land through uh, agencies, public agencies. They include accessing land through faith-based organizations and institutions that have properties. Um, sometimes thinking about rooftops and thinking about what that looks like. You know, the uh, definition of urban ag is really very much about uh, the production, marketing, and distribution of food in and around cities, um, mostly beyond family and personal and educational needs, but it can also be not necessarily for sales. It could be for emergency food provisions. You know, some mm -hmm. parts of the county have groups that actually do produce gleaning, uh, where they get produce from people's yards and they get them to food banks and soup kitchens and other kinds of emergency food providers. So thinking about all of those avenues, private lands, public lands, what about zoning, right? Are there ways that zoning can actually help to support both urban food growing and urban tree stewardship over time? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, the burdens and limitations and the benefits and success, successful frameworks of the strategies are really varying. There's some groups in, in Berkeley that have done some interesting things where they actually are really uh, consolidating two or three yard spaces and have a, a CSA. It's called Berkeley mm -hmm. Basket. There are groups 
out of San Francisco that have taken advantage of the new zoning, the Assembly Bill 551, which is the Urban Ag Incentive Zone Act, San Jose as well. Uh, a group mm-hmm. called Valley Verde comes to mind in San Francisco. It's the permaculture permaculture group. And also, you know, faith-based. We have crosswinds and fertile groundworks in Alameda that have stewarded spaces. Some of those nonprofits now established nonprofits. In the beginning, they weren't, right? They were just a group of volunteers right. stewarding some land together. They're donating on the orders of 10 plus and more, sometimes 20,000 pounds of food to local food providers as well. Wow. And then there's the role of schools, right? Like, what about all the open spaces in schools? We know Oakland Unified and Berkeley Unified have school garden programs. All those parking lots. They're pulling up all the parking lots where we don't need them. We don't need quite so many car spaces as we used to have. That's right. That's right. To create impervious surfaces that are that are cooler and that are that breathe, you know, that absorb yeah. carbon and and respire, let some let some oxygen be a part of the atmosphere again. Yeah. But you know, how much does the community have access to those spaces, right? When yeah. um, school is out and the kids are gone. Are there parts of those schoolyards that uh, local community members that might be apartment dwellers without a backyard or a front yard might really enjoy being able to grow some collard greens or some okra or or some bok choy on perhaps right? right and it varies you've got you've got colleges like Laney College and the Guilt Tract, uh, part of the University of California system. You got Mills mm-hmm. College, UC Santa mm-hmm. Cruz. There's a number of them. Cal Poly Pomona is another one that all have levels of farm space. And right. so one wonders how much of those farm spaces can be also potentially incubating spaces, can can be right. spaces where new farmers, the future generation of farmers will be growing. Right. Right. And you just hit on the the future, which is really important. It's um, the elevation of our respect and desire for growing food. You know, it, with all of the things that you're talking about, we're teaching in school regenerative gardening, vertical gardening, terrace gardening, pot gardening, windowsill gardening, getting people to understand and value growing food. I think that's the most important thing, because if we become it becomes something valuable um then we will we'll make spaces for it and then the last thing i wanted to point out they're doing some studies right now of communities in this country where the people have maintained trees so you can go to a community for example um west oakland and you can see blocks and blocks of of, of uh, houses with no trees on them at all where they've cemented yep. everything and they're looking at the health of those communities compared to other communities where people have maintained your trees. For example, Berkeley is a perfect example. You know how many people have gone to fight over battles, over cutting down trees in this city? And so I love the idea of elevating our appreciation for farming and gardening. And I love the work that you're doing. And I really appreciate all that you have. I do want you to get out. We're running out of time and I want to get contact information of how people can support your work, learn more about what you're doing, and how they can contact you. Certainly. So first, I want to end with an ask, and that is I'm going to ask that um, local county residents, as well as policymakers 
and school groups and any any large institutions that also have constituency with them. Think about how folks can grow together as communities. Think about how they may be able to grow produce together, but ultimately uh, how those experiences can bring uh, those communities into closer ties, to be more interrelated, to respect different cultures, to be more inclusive and embracing of differences. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we have more in common than we do differences. So think about land trusts. Think about housing authority spaces. Think about schools and uh, faith-based organizations. Think about the Santa Fe right-of-way, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And what opportunity is there for cities and counties to take a proactive approach, to think out of the box, to actually say, hey, you know, there's lots of different groups doing lots of different aspects of this kind of work, all on different land types. But how can we create one system where we support as many of the groups together as possible? And where does that sit? Where is it housed? And how does it, what does it look like? What is it structured by, right? How is it funded? How is it supported? How does it get resources to people? So those are things I want the, the local communities in which we live, work, and serve to really think about. Think about okay. our role as good neighbors and how we can help make those those food webs grow together. Really, that's right. what we're all about. So my name is Rob Benetton. I am the Bay Area Urban Agriculture Advisor with the University of California Cooperative Extension's Urban Ag and Food Systems Program. And if you just Google UCANR, that's like University of California Ag and Natural Resources, and then you add in urban agriculture and or urban agriculture workshops. There's lots of great resources about growing food safely in community uh, beyond one's own needs and or to share with others possibly in need as well. With that, thank you, Joy. Thank you for joining us and we'll make sure we'll get all that information on our website for people to access after the show. Really, really appreciate you joining us, Rob. Thank you so much. You take care. Thank you for having me. Gather around people. I'll tell you a story, an eight-year-long story. Power and pride, British Lord Vesty, Vincent Lignari, were opposite men on opposite sides. Vesty was fat, with money and muscle, beef was his business, broad was his door. Vincent was lean, and spoke very little, he had no bank balance. Hard dirt was his floor From little things, big things grow From little things, big things grow The Ringe were working for nothing but rations But once they had gathered the wealth of the land Daily depression Got tighter and tighter The Ranger decided They must make a stand 
picked up their swags and started off walking at Wadi Creek. They sat themselves down. Now it don't sound like much, but it sure got tongues talking back at the homestead and then in the town. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. Vesting man said, I'll double your wages, 18 quid a week, you'll have in your hand. Vincent said, uh-uh, we're not talking about wages, we're sitting right here till we get our land. Vesting man roared, vesting man thundered, it don't stand a chance of a cinder and snow. Vincent said, if we fall, others are rising. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. Then Vincent Lignari boarded an airplane, landed in Sydney, big city of lights. And daily he went round softly speaking his story. To all kinds of men from all walks of life. And Vincent sat down with big politicians. This affair, they told him, it's a matter of state. Let us sort it out. Why, your people are hungry. Vincent said, No thanks, we know how to wait. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. Vincent Lingari returned in an airplane back to his country once more to sit down. And he told his people, let the stars keep on turning. We have friends in the south, in the cities and towns. Eight years went by, eight long years of waiting, to one day a tall stranger appeared in the land. And he came with lawyers, and he came with great ceremony, and through Vincent's fingers poured a handful of sand. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. was a story of Vincent Lignari, but this is a story of something much more, how power and privilege can unmove a people who know where they stand, stand in the law, from little things, big things grow, from little things, big things grow, from little things, big things grow. 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 From little things.
listening to KPFA 94.1 FM and this is Full Circle. All right, welcome back. That was From Little Things, Big Things Grow by Paul Kelly. And we're talking about community gardens, small plots of land, small programs that grow to be big. And one of them we're going to talk about tonight is planting justice. I don't know if you've heard but it is a very, very important food justice organization here in the Bay Area. They're hiring people, they're teaching folks how to grow food, how to value food, and the importance of gardening and farming in urban centers. And tonight, we wanted to bring on two workers from Planting Justice. Often, whenever we interview people on this show, we're always bringing on the CEO or the um, information officer or someone, but we thought we'd just talk to two workers who benefit from the Planning Justice Program, who want us to talk about the work that they do. So we're here with Bobby House and Gordon Limerick, and both of them are workers at Planning Justice. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us tonight. Hello. How are you doing today, Joy? Let's start with you, Gordon. Tell me about Planning Justice and where it's at and what's the goal um, mission of the organization. Um, I... I'm Gordon Lembrick. I'm one of the uh, first members of the nursery down here on 105th. That's 319 105th Avenue in my neighborhood of origin, uh, Sobrani Park. Uh, it's located in Oakland, California. And um, I was actually one of the first members to break ground down here in our 2.5 acre a lot that was converted into a perennial plant nursery. And yeah, we have over 150 varieties of fruit and nut trees. We have uh, a lot of organic stuff. <laughs> yeah, and basically our, our goal down here is for one, educate in the community about, well, access to organic produce and its health benefits um, and actually being able to provide sustainable income in the community, um, which is very scarce in, in, um, in the urban community where a lot of, uh, you know, where usually there's a lot of uh, what you say, I'm not going I don't want to say gang activity cuz I didn't grow up like that but uh, like violence and you know just a lot of ignorance and um basically our goal is really the education is is a big part of it but to provide sustainable wages and things okay. in the neighborhood also tell me how you came to planning justice and what role do you play now Oh, well, I came here, um, volu I volunteered, a friend of mine um, had posted online that he was working. He used to live right across the street uh, from our location here 
now. And um, I had got in touch with him and he told me to come down. I volunteered for a couple of weeks and ended up on the payroll. Um, I met Gavin probably like in the, in the third week. That's our program director. And we really hit it off. A lot of what we do down here, like I never knew I was already interested in that. Uh, when I was a kid, I played in the dirt and in the grass and bugs and animals and stuff like that. So I've always, uh, should I say, been in tune with the earth, but uh, being an adult, it really opened my open my mind up to a lot of things, dealing with the plants and organic, organic things. Thank you. And we're also joined from Planning Justice by Bobby House. Bobby, welcome. Hello, uh, welcome. Good evening, Bobby. Welcome to Full Circle. Good evening. It's a pleasure to be here. My name is Bobby House. I wanted to ask you, um, how did you find yourself at Planting Justice and what role do you play there? Well, I found myself at Planting Justice. Um, my initial means was through, I'm a part of the reentry. I'm part of the reentry team here at Planting Justice. And one of the ways that I first came to in contact with Planting Justice is through my connections with another uh, organization, uh, IGP, the Insight Gardening program and I was allowed uh, granted the opportunity to get to know about permaculture design and landscape through IGP uh, while incarcerated and um, once we gained that freedom uh, I was introduced to planning justice through members of IGP from then on it was just a perfect fit to pursue my passions that I've gained through uh, my interest in landscape design and uh, other social activist endeavors food sustainability oh that sounds exciting so the re-entry program you were in uh, um, led you to planning justice now what exactly is your role there what what are you called what's your position give us an idea of what you do well my position there at planning justice is landscape designer um, i work for a branch within planning justice known as tyy transform your yard and uh, within my role there as landscape designer, the things we aim for is promoting and producing affordable landscape design services uh, to the local Bay Area uh, with specific interest in assisting in the lower economic communities and promoting self-sustainability. Uh, and of course, one of the other main interests is in uh, sprucing up the aesthetic of some of the lower economic communities as well. And, and that's what I do. So I'm loving this. So planning justice provides occupation, give you a job with a salary, and then y'all go out and educate the public on the importance of growing organic, growing your own food and keeping your yard out. Is that basically it? Yeah, that's basically it. And as well as uh, promoting uh, a, a proper visual aesthetic to sort of reverse the negative effects of that broken glass effect that we have in our community. So mm. that's another one of our interests. Wow, I really appreciate both of your voices. It's important that people know that what are the exciting things going on out there. The mission and vision of, of Planning Justice is unique in that it's providing employment and education for the community. And that to me is a, 
a very lofty mission. And I'm very proud to be part of the organization. As a disclaimer, I am on the board of Planning Justice as well. Thank you both gentlemen. Did you want to add anything else before we go to the next segment? Well, sure, uh, Bobby. I'd just like to add, when we look at things uh, from this perspective with regards to planning justice and our interest in, in gardening and permaculture, we as humans are all sort of treated as seeds. And PJ simply does the work of aiding and planting us in places and giving us that opportunity that we can grow and reach that potential. Uh, so, yes, that's that's the overall in that uh, you know, playing justice does teach us to acknowledge each and every human being as a seed. That seed maintains its potential. It's just about, you know, how we nurture it so that we can gain the proper yield that each and every one of us has, have the capacity to do. And so that's my closing uh, on that, just to say that uh, PJ does an excellent job at promoting that that truth. Yes, it does. And you two gentlemen are perfect examples of that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time spent. Um, we're looking forward to hearing more from Planning Justice. And we're gonna give out, you're gonna give out contact information for people who may wanna contact Planning Justice to donate or support the organization in any way they can. Anybody? Gordon, do you wanna give out the website? Yes, um, the website is www.plantingjustice.org. Um, and yeah, you can hit us up and get any type of information you need from that link there. Thank you so much. Really appreciate y'all coming on and joining us tonight on Full Circle. Planning justice, y'all. What's happening? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday's gone 
Drive me stone cold sober in a drought so long. Boarded mansions and ghost filled the yards. Now there's a boy in a water tower counting cars. Steel trap open in empty stalls. Now there's a well worn saddle, but the horse is gone. Damn this valley and damn this hole. It takes so long to let me We're back, and you just heard Will It Grow by Jacob Dylan. I guess you can see the theme of the songs tonight. It's about growing, growing food, community agriculture, and providing space and opportunity for people to do that. That brings us to the end of tonight's show. I want to thank all of our listeners and callers. You can still donate to keep things running here by going to kpfa.org and click on the donate button. No donation too big or too small. For those of you who donate tonight, you'll be entitled to a copy of Storytelling for Social Change. You can show your support for KPFA by donating and get t-shirts, face coverings, and lots of stuff with the KPFA logo on it. You can go to kpfa.org, pick out an item that shows that you love and support the work of KPFA 94.1 FM. Our executive producer is Ms. M. Our technical director is Free Will and Franklin Sterling. I'm Jordan Moore. I've been your host, and I'm the production consultant. 
for the apprenticeship program in full circle. For all of you out there who've been waiting patiently, KPFA Apprenticeship Program is now recruiting for our next class. If you're interested, you can go to kpfaapprentice.org or you can call us at 510-848-6767, extension 235. Again, we are recruiting for our next class of apprentices and we're looking for special people out there. Go to kpfaapprentice.org or call us, 510-848-6767, extension 235. Stay tuned for La Onda Blahita. <laughs>